We are rolling. Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez with Brad Binkley. How you doing, Binkley? I'm good, you know. It's been a rough weekend for a lot of people around America, and I'm just happy that I made it through. Yes, it's it has been very emotional. I liked the way you you said this was a perfect example of our kind of tagline for the propaganda report that news does not reflect reality. News creates reality. At least that's what it's trying to do. That's what propaganda is. And we've sure had a lot of that this week. So let me just say what the, you know, maybe we can, the things I want to highlight and you can, uh, we can take it from there. All right. All right. So recap, Saturday was the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville that uh, and other protesters who did not want statue of Robert E. Lee eliminated, moved, whatever, taken down. And then there was counter protests turned ugly. They declared a state of emergency. After they declared a state of emergency, someone was killed, which nobody's bringing up in the news. Kind of weird. Uh, you pegged that this was just a stepping stone. Next would be Thomas Jefferson, which I will say in the press conference uh, of yesterday where Trump like flew off the handle, supposedly, he said that you were so ahead of that. But speaking of that press conference, I listened to it and thought like that was the Donald Trump who made it to the top. Like this was a guy who had a grasp of what he was thinking and had confidence and was coherent. And, uh, and it's funny that they, I mean, it was not the crazy, right. supposedly the craziest. Kind of- what so he said about- was reasonable. Most of it was reasonable, but the way it's been portrayed in the media, you would have think that he came out with a tiny little mustache and Nazi uniform on and hailed <laughs> Hitler. Well, that, or that he started crying. Yeah. You know, or spitting. Right. Yeah. They act like like he was just out of control. Kim Jong-un, like whatever, the North Korean propaganda machine wrote in one of the things they wrote last week that this that these Trump's tirades, he doesn't have they write this in an official thing, doesn't have time to wipe his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So like the imagery of that, you know, I don't know if they're if that really is the way Korean formal Korean speech turns. I don't know if they have different standards, but for me, it's like ridiculous to say something so graphic, but it's effective. And that was how I feel like our propagandists were trying to tell us was Trump. But, and I'm not saying like he was right. And those neo-Nazis have a point or they weren't neo-Nazis. I'm not saying that, but he was saying there are people on both sides. I mean, he might as well have come out and said this, you know, he could have peeled the onion one more layer and said what we were talking about on the WSB show on Saturday, that this is a strategy of tension designed to get us all at each other's throats for a political reason, which, of course, he's not going to go there. But the political reason is more power at the top. And I think that in the meanwhile, I do believe the Democrats will you know, our, most Democrats think this is about getting Trump out, but I think that there's a bigger purpose. I don't think they're going to get Trump out because Trump divides the country. They don't want somebody in there who's not as polarizing. Well, 
Yes, I, I will say polarizing is good. They had Obama for eight years. He was quite polarizing. This is polarizing. Uh, they if if they achieve their goals, and to me, their goals are the the ultimate goal is totalitarian world government in the hands of what is now you know people are called oligarchs or whatever, but. That means totalitarianism, taking away our rights here at home, probably means a a change of world financial systems, maybe the dollar dies or whatever. And how do you get that done? Conflict here at home and also, traditionally anyway, big war. So if he if if he can create a war without consent, because he's such a hothead, he doesn't even go through the motions. Well, once you're at a war, I think we've seen that a thousand times. Even people who supposedly objected to it say, well, now that we're in it, we've got to finish the job. We've got to win it. You know, that'll, you could be in war, literally an endless war. If, if you don't, if once you're in it. So, so maybe they'll, you, they could, I mean, I think it could go different ways. I, I think, I don't feel like we're people, you know, the war thing, it just doesn't seem close enough. But, and I'm talking about a, a war with Iran, not a war with North Korea. I don't think there's yeah. people in this country want a war. I don't think the controllers in this country want a war with North Korea. I think they want a war with Iran. And it's possible that this particular dialectic, so black versus blue, which was last year's, doesn't serve this dialectic, but Nazis, <laughs> you know, Trump being on the side of Nazis which is how this is being portrayed, could give him cover a little bit if he does get in a war with Iran. Because actually a lot of the people, people on the left kind of resist what they view as Israeli, I guess, expansionism when it comes to Palestine. But people on the right think of, um, you know, the anti-Zionist faction think of Israel you know, look at the Oded Yinon plan and look at the wars in the Middle East as being Israel's wars. So if if you want cover from that, it, you know, because Netanyahu really likes Trump, that's what he said. And Kushner, his son-in-law, gave up his bed when he was a teenager to Netanyahu, who came to visit his house. <laughs> you know, so yeah. obviously they're very, very tight. So for this guy to be a Nazi, you know, for Trump to be a Nazi could be a little bit of cover for what might turn out on that side of the spectrum to be unpopular. If he goes all out on Iran, which is a neocon thing, uh, the alt-right might start smelling a rat, and I think they would. And I think Van Jones tried to give some, you know, you, you sent me some kind of clip of Van Jones, I don't know if you have that one, where he brings up the paradox in the whole thing. Uh, so maybe we can get to that, um, or maybe we could just put it in the show notes. But is that too much? Uh, did I you, did I go down the rabbit hole too far? <laughs> Am I I, mean, is that just too crazy to think? You dove head first, right off sorry, the bat. Sorry, sorry. It <laughs> just <right>. occurred <laughs> to me. It just occurred to me. Like you got North Korea, and like you were saying, there's always a bait and switch. Is Jeff Sessions going to get fired? No, it's Rince right. Davis. You know, like is are we going? Right, to I, should, I should explain that. I don't yeah. think I've explained that on the on the show. It's Trump does not. When, when he does not publicly deliberate his next action, this has been consistent throughout the campaign and throughout his presidency. So if he's talking about and publicly debating whether he's going to fire Jeff Sessions, 
he's not about to fire Jeff Sessions. As we just saw, he just focused the public the public's attention on that, and then bam, Priebus is gone, and suddenly everybody's like, "Whoa, that came out of nowhere." But in reality, yeah, he just, you know, shifted attention. Now, he might do something in the sessions down the road, but whatever he's publicly deliberating about, like the North Korea thing recently, he's not about to immediately take an action on that. He's about to take an action on something else. I wonder if that pattern extends to some of this propaganda generally, because like I was highlighted that Newsweek's had an, I tweeted about Newsweek having a headline today. You don't need to impeach Trump, just invoke the 25th Amendment, which I've mentioned before. It's this obscure yeah. amendment where people can get together and say, this guy's crazy. We can take him out. So I'm like, oh, they're getting us ready for that. But I often fall for that kind of tier two dog whispering propaganda where I'm like, oh, that's what they're doing. And it's not what they're doing. It's what they're doing to get me looking in the wrong direction. So so the first tier propaganda gets like the sheeple looking in the wrong direction. Then the second tier propaganda gets like, I don't know about you, but it gets me looking the wrong direction. Yeah. So I think there is uh, some element of that. And that does remind me of, um, of that story. My mother, when she was saying how, uh, she thinks Trump is just a hundred percent up and up and, uh, but doesn't she doesn't believe in dinosaurs? <laughs> right. <laughs> so we talked That's about hilarious. that last time. So so she said to me something came to me like today or yesterday about that is that she said to me, uh, she thinks that I have a chip on my shoulder. It's funny because well, I should I definitely do not have a chip on my shoulder about this, but that's how she perceives my consistent like skepticism about Trump's like uh what you see is what you get. So she said, you had egg on your face about Jeb and Hillary beating him and you don't like him. You've never liked him <laughs> ever since then. And I and I was trying to tell her what I, I should have articulated it this way. Like, just because I don't can't guess the ending of the play doesn't mean it doesn't have a plot that it's not a play. You know, and I can't guess the ending, but I know it's a play with a plot. You know, and I just, yeah. there are twists and turns. It is kind of ham-handed in its production from a day-to-day basis, kind of like a soap opera. But occasionally, you know, but the soap operas have these sometimes really good plots and interesting twists, even though the production is super cheesy. I mean, you don't expect Maggie to shoot JR. <laughs> <laughs> you don't expect the children to be five years old at the beginning of the summer and 27 <laughs> at the end of the summer. Right, or five years old for 30 years straight, you know, or whatever. Um, so, but, so she doesn't really see that, but I was thinking that, um, I kind of got the skepticism from my father who was a world war two vet. And I found when he died, I had a, uh, I got some of his books and one of his books was from the 1950s. It was called backdoor to war. And it was all these, State Department documents and other documented evidence that the the FDR and and some shadow government really intentionally provoked Japan and at every possibility, every opportunity to have a peaceful settlement, they didn't. And when they cut off the oil for Japan, Japan knew that was their lifeline that they would be defeated. They had to break the blockade or whatever. I forget the right exact nuances of that last provocation. But I read this book. 
after my father died, every word of it. Um, and it's actually, I think, still in print, amazingly. But he had all these margin notes and pencil and stuff. And I looked at what year he bought the book. And for some reason, he wrote, well, he used to do that, write his name and the year. It was like 1952 that he read it. So he was super young for being in the war. I think he even lied about his age. But like within seven years, he was completely disillusioned about that war. And he always taught me in that context. And I think now, well, my mother didn't have that experience, but I think now that the vets, a lot of the vets who go over and think they're fighting in Afghanistan for our freedom, you know, they realize that they've been duped. I mean, I think the majority, they have their eyes open and that's why those are the guys who I think you'll see are increasingly targeted to be disarmed, to be labeled as drug addicts or um, PTSD, stuff like that. I, I think that the vet thing is a double-edged sword for the deep state. You know, they like to send these guys to war, but you can't, sometimes you can't fool those guys to the bitter end like you can ditto heads or whatever. Well, what you're saying about getting people to go fight a war on a pretense, it's the same concept as how propaganda gets people to join these two extreme groups on the left and the right and how they expand the size of these groups is one, they hold up these two groups, the extreme left, the extreme right, and they make them as though it's the norm, as though it's the example. In reality, like 95% of people are more in the middle, but by highlighting the two extremes as being the norm, people are forced into taking a side, or that's the intent anyway, trying to force people into taking a side. And in forcing people to take a side, they, they identify the other one as an enemy, just like in war. This is an evil enemy that's going to destroy everything that you care about. So you need to join us right now. We need to forget about our differences and we need to unite together to stop this evil force. And th that's just how they broad the meaning of, of say alt right. You know, if you just, if you called the, if you called the group Nazis, then people would say, whoa, not joining the Nazi group. But if you oh, expand. Gosh, the, the name of the rally was Unite the Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. The, I, oh, I noticed that title too. And, and I noticed that the left has unity. I told you like five times about the Stevie Wonder concert. He's like, everyone believe in unity? I'm like, yeah. what? No, I'm a person. Right. <laughs> no, unity is exactly what, the, like the, the whole idea of this. Indivisible. Yeah, indivisible, this unity, this the way they propagate equality. This is the same propaganda theme that has been used since the beginning of time, really. But with this group specifically, this is a communist effort. This is the same type of propaganda that was used as soon as Marx started spreading his word. Lenin used it. Lenin toppled statues. Lenin promised equality. Stalin did the same thing. And you know, a bunch of people died in the gulags that they don't talk about. They do talk about Hitler. Hitler killed a bunch of people. It's horrible. But you know, so that was a dialectic too. Right. The Hitler communist thing, both of them were were financed in part by Wall Street. So Anthony, yeah. Anthony Sutton has FDR, Wall Street, uh, Wall Street finance has three different books. FDR and Wall Street, the Bolsheviks and Wall Street and Hitler and Wall Street. And I didn't get it all together until I'm reading that Conjuring Hitler book, which I've talked about every single time because it's such a great book, um, is that... They the reason they did that was to keep Russia and Germany apart because united they would be too strong for the sea powers, which are the islands, the English speaking islands like the UK is an island. America is an island, you know, in this way of thinking. Australia is an island. These places are islands. Uh, and they so the dialectic is there 
to divide, usually a dialectic, then ends up to have the synthesis at the end. So it's united and maybe they're trying to unite them under a world government run by the Rockefellers, you know, but, but that even, I'm, I, I guess I'm trying to say even war isn't, it isn't that society takes from war that, that two-sided approach. It's that even war itself is designed uh, you know, manufactures that two-sided, passionate thing, and I think you're saying that too. Yeah, and it's that it's that when I read read and reread and reread recently the report from Iron Mountain, things just keep you know new things emerge as being seriously important, and the the opening premise is that war is the is the organizing force behind modern society and maybe all society. It might be all society, but that it, that war is the organizing force. It's not that war is the defense of your way of life. It's that it's the organizing force and you can see it. it, You can see this two-sided approach to like everything, which is why when we're on the air, people call and yell, you know, when we're on the radio, people aren't just tuning into our podcast because they understand what we're trying to say. It's that they call, they call in and they're so upset with what I'm not saying. You know, like the woman who I was saying how I thought this was like a, a set up conflict to, to, to impair our right to assembly under the first amendment and stuff like that. And joy who hung up, we never got to talk to her on the air, but the screener said she was absolutely irate. She thought I was a progressive all this kind of stuff because she couldn't understand what I was saying because I wasn't saying what she's used to hearing, you know, in her world. And, uh, and then, and you just, if in a two-sided world, either you're with me or you're against me. So for me to just be like, I don't know, I'm not on either of those sides. I think this is set up so that you have to take sides. And And that's not exactly. Yeah. And that's not an acceptable answer. Yeah. I didn't say anything that would have been, like I was afraid people would think I was a racist because I wasn't saying that I, you know, I firmly denounce, you know, like I was worried about that, you know, and they actually did do that to Trump. Just talking about this stuff without emotion is it, it gets people super upset because you're not you're not reacting the way they feel that you're supposed to react and and train themselves to react like they actually take cues from these people, these organizing forces, which I think you have some stuff on that, too. They take cues from these people on how you are supposed to react. They get their talking points. They don't even realize how quickly they synthesize the information. And I see this on talk radio too. I'm like, yeah, it's easy to read the newspaper and read the headlines to us. There's no, there's no, there's nothing there, but like ready-made stuff. What, when we go out and kind of say that third way, it freaks people out. But, uh, yeah. So I, I feel like that two-sided thing isn't, it's not, it's, well, they propagate. Yeah, you're right. They tell people to do that. that. Right. And, that, and that's a theme in every propaganda book you're ever going to read. Hitler talked about how you need to do this to organize a crowd. Indivisible and in their indivisible guy talks about how you need to do this. And, and the, whole, the premise of it is basically this. If they're not for you, they're against you and you need to attack them as though they're with the enemy. If they do not align with you. So you can be in the middle. You can be the most reasonable person in the world. But the propagandist, and this is their instructions throughout time including indivisible right now is if if they're not joining the resistance then they are as equal as the enemy they're the same as the enemy and you attack them the same way 
it's so hard to it's easy for people on the right to see that as the motive power behind the left but it's so hard for me to get through to people on the right that the same thing is happening so we said what we said on wsb um a lot of yes, what you and I talked about on the air, what the college talks about and stuff, about this being like you know above it all, putting two sides against each other for totalitarianism to screw up our rights, whatever. And then on Monday, so that was Saturday. On Monday, Rush and Hannity all came out saying, "Yeah, there were this was a setup, blah blah blah. The left set set up the right, you know, like the left was behind the the other group." So when people listen to that. There's a hint of what we're saying, which is the propagandists on both sides. And the, the left will do the same thing. You'll talk to a Democrat about how totally corrupt politics is, and they will completely believe it. They'll be totally intellectual. I'm talking about the intellectuals. You can tell them about all the backstabbing, double dealing on the Republican side. And then you'll say the Republicans are exactly, the Democrats are exactly the same. It's completely fraudulent. It is a psyop. They want theirs, but it's totally a fraudulent system they don't share your ideology they break down they'll like the lose most, they they complete most intellectual people who can see it crystal clearly on the republican side and the right will see it crystal clearly like they'll see the machinations and the bs that's what i'm saying they see the propaganda on the other side that they cannot see it on their own side yeah it's a blind spot bias and that's what propagandists exploit they talk out bernays talks about that uh in I can't, I don't know how to say his name, Yules and propaganda and shaping the formation of men's attitudes. He emphasizes this. The whole theme of that, as soon as you can recognize propaganda, then it's not having its effect. So the propaganda that is having an effect on you is not recognizable. It's not coming from sources you expect it to come from. It's coming from the people you identify with and the people that you're more likely to unquestionably agree with. And that doesn't mean that that person is intentionally spreading propaganda. A lot of times people who are spreading propaganda are doing it unknowingly because it's coming from someone they trust, someone from the top. But it means that we should ask questions about the leaders we follow just, I mean, more harshly really than we should, you know, say Hillary. Somebody loves Trump, hates Hillary. You know Hillary's spreading propaganda. You know she's agitating. You know how impossible it would be to start saying stuff like, you know, if we, I love it that you bring to me uh, to us, Van Jones and Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper, who I now dislike as much as you do. <laughs> but, and I like that because I think our listeners certainly like on talk radio, terrestrial talk radio are, don't expose themselves. I cannot stand to watch CNN. So the only reason I even know it exists is because you bring me that stuff and I appreciate it because you can tolerate it better than I can. But, uh, but you know, I want to do the same thing to Tucker Carlson and Hannity and all these guys yeah. on on Fox who are doing the exact same propaganda stuff. It's the, they use the same tactics. I just think it's right. People won't like it. They're thi- I, I no, I well, actually we've won't like it. Tucker. We played some Tucker podcast. The podcast will listen to. It. No, I know. I'm just saying, if you tr- if we try to if you try to explain to somebody on the right how Fox is full of it. They think that you're a liberal. <laughs> I know. I know. No. I mean, that's why Joy said I was a progressive. I mean, a progressive. Yeah. I'm an anarchist. I mean, an uh, anarcho-capitalist, right. not like an anarcho-syndicalist, which is a communist. <laughs> but um, Another uh, challenge is that 
people hear propaganda and they think 100% lies. That's not that's not the case at all. In fact, no, no, it's no, no. a lot of times it's a truth that they tell. They just omit facts. They omit context. So they tell yeah. things that seem reasonable and seem logical, especially to people that identify with it. But they just leave out facts or they they poison the well, so to speak. They discredit the source before they provide the information. And so. All news, all news outlets, CNN, Fox, all of them, they provide truthful accounts of, of certain things. They, they, the best way to tell a lie is to is in between two truths. Yeah. So you're not just going to be getting blatant lies. It's very subtle. It's very well. It's it doesn't very, even have to be there. There don't even need to be any lies whatsoever. It can be yeah. uh, leaving out certain things so that the wrong conclusion is drawn. That is right. what's called stove stove piping. It's where the president only gets the stuff that the guy underneath has allowed to get up there. So there's no lies in there. They just leave stuff out. And, right. uh, it's like John Ossoff's, John Ossoff's ad where he talked about how I worked five years for Congressman Hank Johnson. I earned a nat- top-level top national security clearance, and then he says nothing else. He left out. He omits the fact that he only got that top-level security clearance for six months. He, he knows that, the impl- that it's implied that it's five yeah. years, and that, that's the type of propaganda that is used most often and to the greatest effect. I think I, it took me so long to understand Mark Twain's little quip lies damn lies and statistics because statistics are it's all reflection of actual data yeah but the way you use it so it has this really powerful feeling of facts and science but the way you use it can be so damaging because you can easily, I, I wish I had an example that's tip of my tongue, but I've seen examples that'll just like, wow, if you, if you only just pan out and see the bigger picture, you realize that you've drawn the wrong conclusion from these statistics. They're just, you know, so I, I think it's a really masterful art, this, uh, the propaganda stuff, but I will, I, we had another call. I don't know why I'm like, I, I, that show is, Jam packed. So I don't normally like to just refer to that show. What is it? Episode 59? If you want to go back and listen to that. So, uh, we had a call from Peggy or Penny. I think it was Peggy saying about the new world order. She believes that that's really what's afoot here. And, uh, she agrees with us in our analysis of, you know, that's what we're really battling. And she said, you know, but what can we do? And my response is and always has been or you know it's where i am right now is that the propaganda is so intense it's like they put all their energy into it i mean they there's so much energy expended in this country in controlling people's minds like it's it's really tremendous so obviously it's really important to them so by revealing the method like like you do with when you read us their actual quotes and stuff revealing that method is um is the weapon you know because you're you can't you can't see it anymore any other way you just can't go back you can't put the scales back on your eyes i don't know if that's enough it's it's the most i can maybe it isn't enough i don't know i mean i think it goes i think it's a good place to start yeah like you sent me that algis huxley thing where 20 percent of the people aren't ever going to fall for it anyway but it doesn't matter because you don't need you don't need everybody to fall for it 
I think revealing the method is where you start. And the most challenging part of it is being able to recognize and overcome our own biases. Like when we tend to accept information from a source that might be slipping in lies every now and then is it's not, you can't, you don't blanket discredit. You don't just say everything is a lie on one side or the other. And just because you trust someone or like someone doesn't mean that they can't make a mistake, you know? So it's recognizing that we're all vulnerable, especially to sources that we already trust and asking questions and having a critical conversation either with yourself or with somebody else about what the information is that they're giving you and getting to the bottom of it. And if once you get to the bottom of it, you determine that that what they told you, you agree with, or you like their position, then support that position as opposed to starting off supporting it. And then never ever. Yes. There's so, so much to that, that cult of personality thing. There is. I mean, that's what it's all. I would say, Politics, the the role Hollywood plays, actors, individual actors, all this stuff uh, that because you like somebody, you believe them. It's like my mother. I mean, she something about Trump she just likes, and and that's it. You know, I don't know what it is. She just yeah. she just likes him. So when I say, well, you know, you have to tra- trace back the deep roots of his own deep state roots of his own career of his family. You know, you have to. Look at that. You can't possibly believe he just emerged he, that he actually is Batman, you know, uh, without addressing those things. But she, but that cult of personality thing or the trustworthy, like, like both Obama and Vern Jordan said last year about having to have a truthiness test. They both referred to traditional, like, I don't know if they both referred to by name, but Obama did that Walter Cronkite was somebody people could just trust. Meanwhile, he was like practically a CIA agent, but you know, this was somebody morally safer. It was a man. I heard something about him the other day that he just got in close with the CIA and they told him everything. And then he, you know, they swore him to secrecy that he could never tell anything really, you know, it's really brilliant. But that trusted face, like that's what they want. They want that imprimatur, that that seal of approval to be what you use for evidence. We were talking about that last year. They're just, they're culling out this. They don't want to present evidence ever of any kind of real thing. They want it to be emotional and personality wise. Right. They don't want people talking about it. They don't want people getting into the nuances and having critical conversations about it because that's when people can start to realize that things aren't so black and white. It's not everybody though, because people do get upset when you try to do it. Like that's why you have to, that's that's why like on the terrestrial radio, you can't, you can't just say, you can't laugh at it. You know, you can't laugh at the Charlottesville thing because people will, will get hysterical. I mean, just, just even taking lightly Trump's candidacy last year, People called on the air crying. Like you, you just can't. The people who are absorbing that, uh, you have first. You have to to explain to them that you have to start thinking, and then you can tell them what you think, and they can tell you what they think, and that's all great. But you can't even have the conversation until they realize there's a manipulation. But there's a downside. You said reveal the method. There's a concept revelation of the method where. We are allowed to see this stuff. You're allowed to see 
weird little YouTube videos of fake things that go on behind the scenes on some of these mass casualty events, why would you be able to see that stuff? The idea is that silence implies consent. So if we see it, if we're aware of it, and we don't actually do anything about it, we're consenting to it. So so there's a downside to this idea of just revealing the meth that opens people's eyes. I think that also keeps people distracted and occupied who ask oh, questions. Oh, yes. Yeah, truth porn. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, but but that doesn't mean you don't want to talk about it. Yeah, it's our only hope. I, I yeah. think it's our only hope. I mean, imagine armed resistance is a hope. I'm not in the mood for that, though. Can I play you something that goes with what we're talking about? Yes. This is from one of the Indivisible groups. I actually found this on the Indivisible group's Facebook page from the Georgia 6th District. They were promoting bird dogging. I don't know if you recall what bird dogging is. Bird dogging is what Fovel from the Veritas videos back in, I think, October when he Project Veritas went undercover and they recorded some people working for Hillary Clinton's campaign talking about how they bird dog, which is they train people to go out and instigate and get punched in the face. Um, this is. Oh, that's minutes. what bird dogging is. Oh, yeah, we got to put that in the glossary. Yeah. This is a 20 minute session where they're training people to bird dog. Now there's various levels of bird dog and there's getting punched in the face. And then there's just disrupting a town hall. So, She's not like, you're going to go get your face and throat knocked in. There's nothing like that in here. But she does something very telling in here that relates to what we're talking about is we were talking about how they don't want people asking questions. They don't want them getting into the complexities of it. They just want them accepting the simple version of the story that they are planting in their heads and then taking action based on that, being fueled by emotion. So the instructor here addresses the fact that sometimes people ask questions about healthcare and that they don't understand healthcare. And here's what she tells the people she's teaching about that. Even if you know very little about the policy prescription that they're proposing, it's enough to just have your personal story and to want a specific outcome. You don't need to get into a debate about them. You know, I would do this, I did these trainings a lot with groups uh, and it was, around healthcare, and so people were like well i don't really understand you know the health savings accounts and you don't you know by the time you become a expert in economic policies it, it's going to be too late the policy is already going to pass and you're already going to lose your health care it's enough to just to just go in and just you know say look my son has cancer I want to make sure, you know, I the outcome that I want, the policy or solution that I want is that I want to make sure that he will never be kicked off of health insurance, that he will never lose health insurance because of a pre-existing condition. And you can talk to me to your blue-in-the-face Congress member about health savings accounts and how that's going to save money, but ultimately just will my son have health insurance? That's what you're going for. So don't ask questions. Don't worry about the complexities. Go and object to something that you have yet to understand. Is and note, note that she said, at first she said, she started to say, you just want to tell them your outcome is that your son gets health insurance or whatever. But she changed it and she said, the policy outcome that you want is blah, blah, blah. Now, don't yeah. worry about policy because you'll never be able to figure it out. You need a PhD in economics, which, by the way, is why... 
in a democratic republic, in a limited government, this country, you can't have central planning. If you, it, what is the point of having people vote if you need a PhD in economics to understand what you're voting for? It's, it's, there are technocrats. That's the name for that. Technocrats, people who run the country based on science or math. And, and then it, it ceases to, to become possible to have an actual democratic republic. It's not possible if your representatives, you can't possibly opine on what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, they make it complicated on purpose. That's why the healthcare bill, uh, Obama's was like 12,000 pages or whatever it is. And even Trump's, it wasn't that long. It was a hundred and something, but that's why the language is as complicated as they don't want people understanding yes, it. For they sure. want to be able to do this. They want to be able yeah. to say, oh, don't worry about understanding it. Just trust us that we have your best intentions. Tax code. Yeah. yeah. They want to kill you and either you join us or they're simply going to kill your child. I mean, that's like the messenger. Exactly. Yeah. Look at them. Look how different they are than you. You can't believe them. I'm like, they hate you. They wake up in the morning and they think, I want to eat my babies. That's what they think. Have you ever met anybody like that? And, and to tell you the truth, I went through a period of time where like I tried to, Peg, this is when Obama first got elected, and maybe it was like around the time I first moved to Atlanta, something like that. I moved to Atlanta in 2008. Yeah. So I remember just like it started to really get polarized then. And I remember thinking, can I walk around and tell Democrats from Republicans by like how they raise their kids or how they drive how intelligent they are, if they're good people, if they're there for me when I have a problem, do they sneak food out of my barbecue instead of eating it here? You know, like people will do <laughs> nasty things like that, which really makes me mad. And it's like, can I tell, are the Democrats the one who act bad? You know, because this was when I was really finally realizing that the Republicans were also a psyop. That's how, you know, I didn't always realize that. I thought they were just, you know, half a socialist, but they they were sincere. Then I started being like, this is a scam. The whole thing's a scam. But I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I could not tell if people were Democrats or Republicans by hanging out with them. You know, I just couldn't without talking politics. And they want you to believe, like, that's what I think this Nazi stuff is all about. They want you to believe that anybody who thinks that Robert E. Lee is someone we should remember for various reasons, the complexity of every human being. I mean, Thomas Jefferson and Martin Luther King both had kind of cross-racial, sexual predilections, extramarital, uh, you know, apparent, according to to any any history that cares to address those sub- subjects. So read it to say these people, their entire existence, you know, e- any person that you pull apart you can see the good and the bad, even if even if MLK plagiarized some of his speeches, which some people accuse him of, and, and I may even have been proven, I don't know, it doesn't matter because what he did was he made a difference. You know, right. you can you can fault him for those things for sure. But if you read the letters of Thomas Jefferson to John Adams, I mean there's value in that, like tremendous value. Maybe the greatest, you know, when John F. Kennedy said there's never been such a gathering of intellectuals in this in the White House, 
you know, before today, other than when Thomas Jefferson dined alone. You know, I mean, is that a guy whose statue you want to pull down? Yeah. You know, because his common law wife was one of his slaves. Like, I don't I don't know where. So people can have these opinions. But if if you dare object, I mean, it's really about erasing. It's like what I say call flipping the South. They want to erase the history of the South. And 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 by doing that, they will erase the memory of states' rights, of the right to exit the union, of the of the limited power of the federal government. And anyone who says what I just said, they they really want you to think that Nazi. Yeah. I would be a slave owner. That I, I wish I could be a, Meanwhile we're peasants. Like I come from peasant stock. There's no chance on earth my family back ten thousand years was anything but in their you know, peasants and serfs and maybe slaves themselves. Are you saying you, your family was never doesn't have any lineage that owned slaves? No, I my I went back to our homestead in Ireland, and I mean I I, I didn't wouldn't even knock on the door. I was like I'm not I don't even want to take <laughs> a glass of water from these people. You know yeah. I just like kept walking literally like went to the place and there was like an F upside down car. All in overgrown weeds. You could barely see the house because it was so overgrown. I mean they were poor. And, uh, but I understand the complexities of these histories, you know, I do. And they don't and want the complexities out in the public. They want to simplify. And what they're trying to do is just think about it. Since when are you like, oh yeah, Nazis, they really, really love the Confederacy and will do anything to protect Confederacy. When do you associate that with Nazis? That's us. Well, that's usually- why I think, yeah, the, the Nazi thing maybe plays into, uh, uh, folding later in the anti-Semitism thing, which is also a theme that's emerging, like with the with the cemeteries and stuff, which you which I think was proven to be an inside job or some kind of psyop. Yeah, it was. It was not the cemetery thing was never one of the guys worked for the intercepts for Glenn Greenwald, who's definitely a deep state operative. Yeah, they emphasized that it was a Trump supporter, a white nationalist, whatever. They did the same thing with the uh, threats to the Jewish uh, bomb center. Not that, I mean, but it was a black guy who did the right, threat. Exactly. Yeah. And none of the – Who works for Glenn Greenwald. Yeah, but the problem is none Nobody of that hears stuff, that. Yeah, they, they report for three weeks straight that it's a white nationalist doing all these things, and that becomes truth. This was uh, Hitler, uh, Goebbels thing. You just repeat it over and over and over and over again. You can, you can convince people that a circle is a square. So – they didn't repeat the retraction over and over again. Like right. when they discovered the truth, the retraction's a footnote. Oh, the yeah. Fox News reported that had experts on who said, or at least on the website, who said that the Egyptian Copts that were beheaded on a shore in Libya was absolutely a fake green screen production. That I saw once. I screenshotted it. I have it. I've put it on my website. I cannot tell you how many times people on Fox News, from Mike Huckabee to Megyn Kelly, have talked about those Egyptian cops as a reason that we need to take back Libya or something. You know what I'm saying? They debunked the story themselves. They had to. It was just too blatant. 
Right. And, uh, but it, it doesn't matter. People still it, But the it. theme that yeah. it just carries on. I, I see stuff like that. I circle every single day in the news. What that is, that. I was thinking about that today, is once the court of public opinion has rendered a verdict, which is immediately, and it's determined by the way the media presents the information, it is done. It, the, it's been adjudicated. The actual trial, yes. if it deals with a person, it does not matter. This guy is going to go to trial. Because they're still investigating this. This is not a closed investigation. They just discovered, you know, they just arrested the guy. We haven't seen the video of the arrest. The guy, oh, sorry, no. the guy who ran over the girl. Which, over, by yeah. the way, was after they broke it up, after they called a state of emergency. So this guy, the governor, got to take away people's rights to assemble and petition and all that kind of stuff. And in a state of emergency, you lose a lot of rights like that. You can institute martial law. That's at least the first step, if not the last step. I don't know how it works in Virginia. But uh, and after that, the person got killed. After that is when people got hurt. Not you know what I'm saying? So why does anybody talk about that? That like why? How did this happen? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. Like, I think investigate. If you did a trial on that guy, you would, you know, some of the truth might come out, but you're never going to get a trial, like not an open, real trial. Exactly, and it doesn't even matter what the verdict ends up being. They could find out that it was somebody, some agent yes. driving that car, and this guy's yeah. life it didn't is really happen. Be, and it, it, you know, it might, it might have been him. I'm not saying it wasn't him. My point is only that when public opinion is deciding a verdict instantly, we have gone from we are no longer living in a country where it is innocent until proven guilty. We're living in a country yes. where it is guilty if determined by the media until proven innocent, and even then, it doesn't matter. Or the cops on the scene. So when you have somebody killed in the act of a mass ca- mass casualty event, in my mind, there should be a trial. There should be a trial. Yeah. Uh, they always say there's an investigation into what law enforcement did. And I would just like that to be a rigorous process, an open, transparent process. But more important, I think anybody who was killed in commission of a crime should have to have a posthumous public trial run by a public defender. His family or whatever can stand in for him. But but by killing these guys and not requiring uh, that the case be adjudicated, not only could the wrong person have died and someone should be held responsible for that, but more important, who really did it? Because it could be an open case, like the Boston Marathon bombing. Those guys worked for the government, the Cernayevs. The second guy supposedly went on trial, but uh, I don't even, honestly, I know this sounds really bad. I don't even think he was alive by then. You can look at some of the work I did. I mean, there's a picture yeah. of him. You know, on an operating table with no tubes or anything in his mouth when he was described in the article itself as being on a ventilator and all this kind of stuff. And you can see the blood pooling up in the back of his neck. I mean, he was not alive, it looked like to me. And yeah. uh, and you never saw photographs of him in that trial. But anyway, my point is that you can't... Uh, they they can set these crimes up or let them happen or pin them on the wrong people, look like they're heroes. It, it in, gives incentive to people on the scene to kill the perp, like the guy with the machete in his backpack in Atlanta, to kill the perp rather than have to figure it out. And, and that process, allowing that, is just another... It contributes to this erosion. It spreads the violence. It spreads joining those groups. There was already violence outside of the court hearing. But, it, but I just hearing. want to put a punctuation mark on that. It 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 is part of 
the Fifth Amendment's going to be on the block. I guess the First Amendment is this year. Fourth Amendment's gone. Fifth Amendment's coming. Due process. So by by getting people used to open and shut cases that you don't even need a trial. You don't even need, we all know what happened. Like Trump was supposed to know what was going on. He said in his press conference yesterday, this thing was evolving on Saturday. I had to say something, but we didn't have all the facts and neither did you. That's true. We're so used to like the news comes out with facts before the, before the, the cops even get to the scene. Right. Let me say something about that uh, point you made right there is, all right, Trump said that, and that was absolutely true. The the facts were not in. People did not understand the facts. Now, the media's response to that, that is an absolutely reasonable point that he was making. The media's response, instead of acknowledging that point and saying, you know what, the facts weren't in, this is a case that is still – it's got to be tried. We haven't even had the first court hearing yet. Instead of doing that and acknowledging the reasonableness of that, they instead said, oh, Trump – waits for the facts to come in and and obviously Trump in the past has labeled stuff uh Islamic terrorism without waiting for the facts to come in. So they instead pointed out the contradiction of Trump which was they played clips of him over and over again in the past identifying things as something before the facts came in instead of in this situation saying you know what he he's contradicting himself because in the past he has you know come to a conclusion before the facts have come in, but he's actually making a good point right here. So instead of focusing on the point that was made, they do a source attack. They attack Trump for being Yes, yes, ad hominem. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that makes the we public not think show, about it. Our episode 59 is that WSB show, which we were doing in real time, and I was trying to figure out the facts because I wanted to talk about it, and, and I wasn't going to go up and say, ah, oh, these freaking Nazis. Yeah, there was yeah. some of that, but I... Anyway... That's how, that's how I am too. When I see something that, and I think you are the same way as well. In fact, I know you are. When an attack happens that is immediately determined to be a Muslim attack or an attack by an extremist, I'm like, I don't know that yet. The only reason I would think that is because you just told me that on the news. I, I have no idea what this attack was, and it's the same thing with this Nazi thing. I have no idea who was driving that car until some facts come out. Now, there's fact, there's some facts that have been released, but. The fact, the fact is, the only thing that we know is that we really don't know shit. Exactly. I mean, that's how I felt, and I, I have, I still don't know what the other, what the Antifa people were doing. I still don't know what provoked it. Trump said he was watching the tapes, and they both. I watched some of the tapes. The, so the Antifa people, they were there with uh, torches. They were, they were also violent. The, that group was at Berkeley creating violence. That, that group originates back from the 1920s and 30s in Germany. Those are the Reds, and the Nazis are the Browns. Oh, that's what this is. That. The, the anti oh, like Trotsky. Ready-made stereotypes. Exactly, and and that's what they're playing off of. And the, this group has been going around creating violence, and some in the media – in fact, at one point – I didn't cut this clip. At one point, Tapper was like, yeah, the anti have been creating some violence – but we all agree that that's not what's important right now. And they just moved on. <laughs> nice imitation. Yeah, thank you. I've been working on it. Really? Oh, it makes my skin crawl. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's getting good then. <laughs> exactly. So uh, he – yeah, that's not important. They say that. Yeah, they literally said it's not Who important. cares? Who cares about that? Because they're on the right side. They're legitimate. Well, they, they at first referred to them as anti-protesters. In fact, I have a clip. I've, let me play a clip of Tapper responding to Trump's 
statements. Or should we play Trump's? I have a minute of Trump's statements if we want to play that first and then play Tapper's response. Yeah, this is this is probably going to be kind of a biased interpretation because this comes from a CNN article that says the 14 most shocking comments from Trump's Charlotte news conference. And it's a minute long. I'm sure they edited it. Oh, let's hear it because I did watch the news conference. Yeah. I think I watched the whole thing. Uh, it's like a 15-minute conference, news conference. Yeah, I minute. think I watched it. I just I, – and I, I'll be interested to see how they pull it apart because I just thought he really seemed in his elements in that I really felt like he was arguing his case and they don't like that. You know, I mean – the people who are really buying into the anti-Trump thing, he's he's only dangerous if he starts making sense. So I'd like to see how they cut that out yeah. to make him look stupid. Here it is. Define alt-right to me. You define it. Go ahead. Well, I'm saying, as no, some define some it for me. Come on, let's go. Define Senator it. McCain defined them as the same group. Okay, what about the alt-left that came charging him? Excuse me. What about the I'm going to stop that for a second. What he said about define the alt-right and the response where she said, well, McCain said they're the same people yeah. as Nazis. That's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to fold – the whole thing about starting a war, and this is through all the propaganda literature, is you have to have one single enemy. You have to have identify one enemy. They're trying to fold in the Nazis. They're trying to fold in the Russians. They're trying to fold in anybody who presents information that is outside the mainstream in, underneath this alt-right umbrella so that this is the predominant – enemy group. This is what they were dealing with the and, Russian propaganda how, stuff the other day. How disgusting is it that she's quoting McCain? She can't think for herself? Yeah, If you quote McCain, it's ridiculous. I, I know, but it goes right to the clip you played earlier. Like, you don't have to know the answer. Right. Just, just parrot somebody else. Exactly. Charging at the, as you say, the alt-right. Do they have any semblance of guilt? Let me ask you this. What about the fact that came charging, that they came charging with clubs in their hands, swinging clubs? Do they have any problem? I think they do. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that was a horrible, horrible day. Wait a minute. I'm not finished. I'm not finished, fake news. That was a horrible day. I will tell you something. I watched those very closely, much more closely than you people watched it. And you have uh, you, you had a group on one side that was bad, and you had a group on the other side that was also very violent. And nobody wants to say that, but I'll say it right now. You had a group. You had a group on the other side that came charging in without a permit, and they were very, very violent. That's the that's CNN's edit. I love the. Uh... He calls Fake it. News. Did you ever see yeah. School of Rock? No. Oh my gosh! Oh, it's my son, my special guy's favorite movie. Oh, he's watched it like a thousand times. But there's a point at which the substitute teacher, Jack Black, he doesn't know anybody's names. He doesn't really care, so he just like gives them all nicknames. And there's one chubby chick he calls Turkey Sub. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Turkey Sub. <laughs> You're on the drums, you know, whatever. Yeah. So it's like, hey, fake news, pipe down yeah. back there. I think no, that was, was Jim Acosta. Oh, really? Yeah. Who is Jim Acosta? I mean, I know he's, the name. He's a, Which one? Just a I don't CNN know how to describe guy. him. He's a pretentious CNN. He's a guy that's always fighting with Trump in those. He's the one that he originally called fake news. But it was good that, I don't know, I thought he was standing up for himself for once. 
Yeah, I thought the press conference was reasonable. I understand some of the complaints. That, they were all screaming at him about yeah, the topic he wasn't there for. Did you hear he that? He was there for like, infrastructure. This makes him – they're saying that that he he went crazy. You, If you want to hear crazy, listen to the people in the background. As soon as he talks, they go nuts on him. Yeah, you want to hear crazy. Let's listen to – first we'll listen to Jake Tapper's response, and then we'll listen to Van Jones's response, which is the, the Van Jones reaction to this is – if it wasn't just so insane to me, it'd be hilarious. It's because it's ridiculous. Here's Tapper's response. Tapper and his very Ta- Tapper does his entire news broadcast with this kind of that look on his is face. This really going on? Are that you look, serious? His head is yeah. tilted. Yeah, yeah. His his he's got this frown. Right. He's just looking at you, incredulous that. He has to do this job because you're all so stupid. Exactly. That's the tone you know? he's got the whole time. And, and if he didn't actually believe his own BS, I would understand why he felt that way. But he thinks you're stupid because you don't believe his BS. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. At least Anderson Cooper's a CIA guy. He knows it's BS. All right. If we had to take a shot every time there was a logical fallacy in his argument here, we'd be <laughs> hammered by the time this clip was over. And here we have President Trump revealing that actually what he said to begin with was what he meant, uh, that both sides were to blame. First of all, there are violence on both sides. He says that as though it's a horrible thing, as though it's just a horrible thing to think there's blame on both sides. Yes, there's a – this is definitely a thing from the left about language and stuff that denying – you know, there's some things that are just unspeakable. You can't right. have the discussion because to entertain the idea of another interpretation is fundamentally immoral. Yeah. He's about to just lay it out for us right here. Uh, both the Nazis and well, the I'm going to start Nazis. from the beginning again so it has the context. And here we have President Trump revealing that actually what he said to begin with was what he meant. Uh, that both sides were to blame. Uh, both the Nazis and the Klansmen and the white supremacists and the alt-right uh, and the counter-protesters were to blame. <laughs> and in fact, not only did he say that both sides were to blame, uh, he said that there were also good people on both sides. Not just good people in the counter-protesters, but good people amongst the Nazis and the Klansmen and the white supremacists and the alt-right. Uh, it was a stunning tour de force uh, by President Trump. He also talked about the purpose of the march, which was, of course, uh, from these racists and extremists. Uh, they were protesting uh, the fact that Charlottesville is talking about getting rid of a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. And he said, well, where is that going to end? Uh, it might be Robert E. Lee one day, and then next is George Washington, and next is Thomas Jefferson, because obviously George Washington and Thomas Jefferson were slave owners as well. He refused to condemn the alt-right. He demanded that a reporter who asked about the alt-right uh, define what that means. Now, there's zero good people that were there to protest the removal of the statue, the Confederate statue. That, that's what he just claimed. Z- zero right. good people were there. So you cannot protest a statue, a Confederate statue being removed, and also be a good person is his premise there. It doesn't matter if you're a historian. It doesn't matter what your reasons are for not wanting it to be removed. In Jake Tapper's mind, 
you cannot want that and be a good person. And then he, he, he exaggerates what the alt-right. So this is what they're doing where they're combining these groups underneath the umbrella oh, yeah. of alt-right. They're, they're the Nazis. Racist, bigots, Nazis. Exactly. Um, yeah. Alt-right. All, all the alt-right. This those are, those are all the categories yeah. of the alt-right. And the alt-right did not, you know, whatever. I don't get into that. But Yeah, he, well, he's removing nuance. He's simplifying yeah. the term so that you can immediately be triggered to hate anyone that's associated with that. And then he goes and he minimizes what the protesters on the other side were by saying the counter protesters. So he ignores the whole anti-fascist group, anti-fa that's been going around creating violence for decades that recently, you know, uh, caused a, a bunch of violence over at Berkeley in one of their protests. I mean, there's a history of violence here and this is admitted by people on the left. They just say it's not important. This is also a group that is filled with hate, but he just ignored that and called them all counter protesters. So let's just say, I mean, in my mind, both of those groups, I mean, there was a time that the FBI, I think one or two out of three Klansmen were operatives, like yeah. government operatives, FBI yeah. operatives. And that was like 90 years ago, you know? So Antifa and whatever neo-Nazis they're talking about, I mean, these, in my mind, are absolute creations of the deep state on purpose for this oh, yeah. reason. And yes, it gets people off the couch and people will go. And I think uh, people like the ballsiness of Trump kind of standing up, like he did that for his base. They like that, that press conference, I'm sure. I don't know what yeah, they're saying on Fox so News, but. Well, what they did was. He did a good job for that. Yeah. Is that David Duke came out and said, thank you, Donald Trump, for telling the truth. And, you know, David Duke tweets a lot of things and never does it make news unless they need to make it important oh, well, in the public mind. He tweeted at Ron Paul, I just gave you a bunch of money, thumbs up, you know, or whatever. Like that yeah. came out and Ron Paul's like, what am I supposed to do? Exactly. I don't, I don't open the envelopes. I don't know where the money is. Better he give it to me. Radical. We else. have two sides. Radicals on both sides are going to support the side that they can most most push their agenda with. So there's radicals on both sides supporting people. If you have to denounce every radical that supports you in a presidential campaign, that would be the only thing the campaign was, is each candidate spending the day denouncing the crazy people that support right. And the left never demands their people do that. I'm sure if there were black supremacists supporting Obama, they this is not Jake Tapper wouldn't be saying that. But um but I think David Duke is an operative too. Like I think this stuff also say there are I don't know anybody like this, but who's getting off the couch to make a scene about this from a uh I don't know any neo Nazis in this country personally. Uh but even if there are this thousands of them don't you just ignore them i mean there's just not that many of them yeah you ignore so, them unless you want to build their group up and use them to yeah. create tension in the country which is what so, they're doing so there's a wordpress site for some nothing blog whatever and wordpress said oh we don't like your content so we are going to censor it which they just shouldn't it should just be a neutral vehicle does like loose leaf paper companies ask you what you're going to write on a piece of paper, you know, just don't do that. <laughs> but they do, you know, they're doing it and it made the news. So I literally, I'm like, keep thinking to myself, Oh, look at that site, you know, like Google, whatever that was, that site, you know, see if you can find it and see what's on it. 
I mean, it's advertising. Right. It's that overarching agenda. What are we going to pull and make important in the public mind that's going to support this agenda that, you know, Nazis and everybody are underneath the alt-right umbrella? And whatever they find that can do that, they're going to plug right in. And anything that doesn't, they're going to leave out. And it's going, it's leading to the destruction of the First Amendment, like you said, yeah. for people that have views that are outside the mainstream. And the state, state, and, and the mainstream is becoming fascist. If these Antifa people don't realize that they're as fascist as the rest of them. Yeah. But they declared the state of emergency before anything happened. And then stuff <laughs> yeah. happened. You know what I right. mean? So they're going to take away your rights and still be completely. First of all, that's what created the problem is like all the press it got for that is all that protest, counter protest stuff. Uh, it was hyping it that really created the problem. And then they don't <clears throat> actually step in. <laughs> Excuse me, and break it up. No, that's yeah. If they did that, Which, it would. Take I don't the want story them to, away. but they they if they are going to go through the exercise of taking our rights away, they might as well do what they said they were doing that for. There's video of the police escorting some of the Nazis, at least is what it says in the video, out of the area where the statue is and walking them directly through the center of really. Seemingly pretty extreme anti-fav people who are beating on them, who are punching them and hitting them as like with baseball bats and stuff as they walk. So the police are directing them right through this, and the chants that the people are chanting that these anti-fav people are chanting while they're beating these people that are being escorted through them, and the other guys were hitting back too, but the cops are the ones escorting them right. Were the there, cops you know, in SWAT uniforms or were they in Sipowitz shirts? Did they have their little blue cap on or did they have helmets on? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at it. But they had shield. The the guys had shields. The Nazi dudes had shields because they were getting beaten and they, Where they, they brought they get the shield. shield. I don't know. Like I hadn't figured that part out yet. Come they on. brought this is ridiculous. There's people there inciting violence. I smelled a rat with this thing when it started being covered by the news the day before. Why six thousand people in Charlottesville? Forget it. Ignore yeah, them. Sense. They were chanting the the anti fa people that were beating them as they walked by, were chanting, shame, 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 which I found really interesting. I posted an article on Propaganda Report Daily about it. That's the same chant that was being chanted when Pence showed up to vote for the health care bill. Shame, shame, shame. And that was also a similar chant. Well, it was actually the same chant, but I just couldn't find the video of it that I, that I had earlier. Uh, at the protest at the town hall for Collins in the Georgia 9th District in Gainesville. They were outside chanting, shame on Collins, shame. So I realized that this is the same indivisible script that's being used at, by the Antifa at these protests in Charlottesville. So indivisible, in my opinion, is at the forefront in spreading this propaganda. The, they're the ones who are telling people what to say and what to do with these protests, and that's the same group that this lady is from who was telling people not to care about the nuances of healthcare. That's very interesting. Can I, are you, can yeah, I say something? Shame, shame is interesting to me. Somebody said to me once a very like way better educated person than I was. <clears throat> I, I showed up at Harvard. I was a transfer student as a junior from a community college and I dropped out of high school. So I did well on standardized tests, but I had basically no, education, you know, like classical education. And, but my roommate was, a, she had transferred from Yale and she had gone to Exeter or something 
which is very prestigious high school. And she, so she really knew stuff that I didn't know. So I didn't verify this, but this is what it came from her. And she said something to the effect of, of all the great contributions the Greeks made to the world. And I've, I've also read quotes that all, all that is good, all, all civilization owes everything. Every idea is Greek in origin. That's another famous quote. Every idea is Greek in origin. She said all that, that the most significant thing was uh, changing, converting shame into guilt. That prior to that transition, your behavior was controlled externally through shame. But the problem with that is that you don't control yourself. So if you can sneak around, you don't think anybody's watching you. You don't have any remorse. You can do whatever you want. By converting it to guilt, you get that sense of shame even when nobody's watching. And it's a much better form of social control uh, and could be the very basis of civilization being possible because you can't really police everybody all the time. But it made me, it pointed out to me that you know, I've always ever since then been hyper aware that shame is external. Shame is when your conscience supposedly is walking around outside of your body. You know, it takes your own own motives away. All you care about is what other people think. So I think that the actual shame being the thing that they're saying to these people is really, I don't know if they meant it to be meaningful, but it certainly says a lot. Yeah, it's a communist in origin slogan. I mean, you know, shame is something, and that makes sense. What she said, the it's it's uh it relates to what's called the Hawthorne effect, which is people change their behavior when they know others are watching, and if others are watching and yelling shame, one, the people who are yelling shame know that others are watching them, so they're going to jump in and join the group, and two, the people who are having shame yelled at them, depending on how they feel about that group, that's going to affect their behavior too, because they know. Those people and the cameras are watching, and the Hawthorne effect is that you adjust your behavior based on the effect of these people who are watching or and or chanting at you. And it folds in with the crowds and power stuff, the, the yeah. fact that people literally act differently around, yeah. you, you know, and, and saying shame, like it makes, it feels like the person who they're yelling shame at, that this would be a universal moral judgment. Oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. and I don't know. See, this is why we immediately went on the air and was actually interrupted by Trump's press conference on Saturday. I didn't know how many of these people were neo-Nazis and what were they calling for? Were they calling for just keep the shadow, the, the statue up or do they really want you know, to bring segregation back or slavery? Do they want to hurt people? Like, what is it that you know, that words. was never made clear. Like the, yeah. the premise was they were there because to protect the statue thing, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make sense with the Nazis and what they were chanting. The hate, they were chanting hateful stuff too. But wh what they do is they make everybody think that everybody, like we were talking about, that everybody was chanting the Nazi hateful stuff and that nobody was just really there for the, the statue to protect the statue. But I, so I don't know why the Nazis were there. They don't care about the statue. They only care about, yeah, Nazis were not Southern. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were German. But it's funny because I tweeted a clip that I think is hilarious from the Blues Brothers, which movie I loved. 
I hate Illinois Nazis. Remember, so he gets them out of jail. Yeah. They're in the cop car. They have to get someplace. They're in a hurry. There's a lot of traffic. They asked the cop, why is there traffic here? And they said, well, the uh, fucking Nazis. And then he said the ACLU won their suit for them, which I think might have been a true story because I read, is Skokie in? No, Skokie's down south. There, there was a, um, I think it's based on a real suit ACLU uh, fought. And the point, so they get pissed and they, and they drive over the bridge anyway and all the Nazis end up in the river and, uh, and then vow revenge and then chase them for the rest yeah. of the movie, whatever. But so, but my point, believe it or not, I have a point, but now that I'm thinking about it, why did the ACLU fight for them? I think the ACLU was instrumental in getting this Charlottesville permit also, uh, through federal court and uh and why do they do that they do it because words are not actions and you have really do not have any right to control what other people say so even i've always thought the idea that you're not allowed to cry fire in a crowded theater is was it was a slippery slope and i don't like it because the fact is, if you cry fire in a crowded theater and people get hurt or the theater owner loses money or he has to give the things back, there are damages against you. You committed, you incited this problem. The The crime is the damage you caused, I think, is the way that should be treated. Not that um, or inevitably knowing you're going to cause that, intending to cause that damage that way. I don't know. It is a slippery slope. No, I agree. If you You shout fire in a theater in China and nobody understands what the word fire means, nobody's going to get up and run. Of course, our laws don't extend to China, but it's a matter (laughs) of the meaning of the word. Yeah, I just – I feel like the slippery slope is then they say, well, if you say Heil Hitler, you're calling for a holocaust and you might get people to do that. You know what I mean? So now, so back then, when the ACLU did fight, I think, for neo-Nazis, and even now, the point they were making is that speech is, you know, sticks and stones. But now I feel like the problem has always been, what do you think you're going to do with your words? If you're actually trying to incite action, actions that are crimes, you're not allowed to say those words. and. And I can understand drawing the line there, but in this day and age where logic is gone, how do you draw that line and stick to it? How do you say, well, how many degrees of separation away from what these guys said? Just by showing up, they antagonize the Antifa people. Was that anticipated? You know what I mean? Like, is that they provoked a riot just by their very existence? Is that? You know, is that something they're allowed to shut down? Because that is what the government did. They shut it down before it started, even though there was a legal permit. Right. And that's been the focus of, of the criticism is the hateful nature of the people who organized the event. They've been focused on that instead of focusing on – like if nothing had happened, then that aspect of it would not have changed. You know what I mean? So say no anti-fa people were there and it ended yeah. up being just a protest where uh, yeah. a few Nazis and maybe a few people who really care about not having the statue pulled down to Yeah. And so nothing happens. It does, that would still, you, they could still make the exact same criticisms they're making right now saying, why don't you 
uh, speak out against the alt right or the yeah. Nazis or whatever. Oh, good point. Excellent so you know what point. I mean? Like they're just they, yes. now since something happened, they're still yes. making that same thing. And then when you say, well, the other people were violent too, they say, well, did the other people kill someone? So they ignore the argument. Yeah, I mean, whoever killed that that girl, it's it's whoever drove that car through that crowd yeah. is a terrible person. And it's, it's on the governor's person. head because he he claimed that he knew this was an absolutely dangerous situation, so much so that he had to suspend people's rights. But I just realized that I completely fell for the exact thing I didn't want to fall for by setting up this art of ambiguity. They had the permit. They The other guys brought clubs, blah, 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 blah. We're just – we're actually going through, you know, the kind of – the the narrative they want us to go through. You know what I mean? When in reality, this whole thing is a top level divisiveness psyop. It doesn't matter what the subject is. It does not matter. It's not about Antifa or Nazis or black or white or slavery or Confederates. It's not about that at all. Zero. It's about divisiveness in this society and how to keep it going. Right. Those are the tools. That's how you get the government to have the power. That's how you get your rights taken away. It does not matter. It could be gerbils versus house cats. And you would, you know, it would just, if it, if it got people riled up, that's what it would be about. And and that's why they keep this alive. That's why they keep P I I don't think anyone intends to, my son, my son with down syndrome says when I ask him why he just, Came home from public school absolutely hating Trump, hates him, hates him, hates him. And my mother who loves my yeah. son so much, like it makes her so sad. But if you ask him why, he says because he wants to bring slavery back for yeah, Africans. That's, that's what he says. Yeah, that's what he says. That's I know, but I mean, but slave, does anyone think that Trump, anyone, Anyone does does Van Jones think that Trump wants to bring slavery back for Africans? I don't think Van Jones does. I think that people who watch Van Jones and hear him say that do hear him say stuff like that or whatever. I mean, it is how exactly would that work? I mean, uh, really, people don't think about it. they only think about the consequences. This is exactly like. But how would how could the only way anyone could bring slavery back to this country is if we suspend our rights? You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't, you, you can't, that's the habeas corpus. You cannot take people's body, you know? That's how you short circuit people's thinking when they're talk when they're screaming about how that's going to happen. It's a protest. Well, death. how would that work? Tell right. me how this is going to happen. Yeah. And they'll be like, well, uh-uh. All we have to do is fight for it to the death for due process. Yeah. The Fifth Amendment, which is in the crosshairs, they are using this to get the Fifth Amendment away from us. And it's the only thing that can protect you from that, truly, because you can look at Gitmo, which is like a, a, a an example. It's not, you know, the it's not. They're not Americans, therefore, they don't have God given rights, but <laughs> which I just think is a funny paradox doesn't apply to them because they're not Americans. But aren't your rights given from God? Yeah, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just a crazy yeah. paradox. But anyway, whatever. I'll, I'll accept that. But they that. uh when they take people away, like the guy who supposedly killed Kate Steinle, he they still haven't started his trial. It's been years. He is being held. He's being held in jail. I think that's a fishy story. Totally screwy. It was a government gun. I mean, yeah. really crazy story. I want to know the truth. This guy certainly has not had a speedy trial, you know, yeah. and that's a violation of habeas corpus. It's a it's a 
So you can't let, you know, we're, we're losing sight of our protections in, and that's what this divisiveness is for. It doesn't matter how they exactly. get there. They get people emotionally charged, thinking about in the moment what they want to stop immediately, and they don't think about the long-term effects of if that would actually happen. If we take away free speech for certain people, they don't realize that down the road that means they're not going to have the free speech that they want, that they need as well. So that's how you keep people emotionally charged, thinking about the moment. They forget about the big picture, and they demand solutions that just eliminates all of their rights in the future and now. Because they're scared or they're angry or whatever. You said something earlier about a Van Jones clip that I want to play for you that folds in with all this. And it's it's just Van Jones is a clown, really. It's just the way that he – He's mean, a he, clown. I he's think very he's well spoken, very sophisticated. Oh, he is. He, he is. But then that's I think why he's, I mean. the, he's, the, he's like on a level with Anderson Cooper in a way. When you realize how ridiculous the stuff he says, though, that's what I mean about the clownish yeah, nature okay. of the claims that he makes. And he makes them in such a matter-of-fact, intellectual way. It's like how can you even say that without – Without cracking, you know, oh, without yeah. laughing at how no. ridiculous that is. No, that's upsetting to me, actually, because that's what I'm saying. Like, they don't – it's so awful. It's like we're, we're those Michael Chertoff clips we played last time. That that yeah. guy that got in yeah. one of the podcasts, yeah. right? He's just – you know he knows what's really up, you know, yeah. and he, he just, just – people. Oh, so upsetting. All right. So how do you – square away the fact if you if you're one to think about the think about this how do you square away the fact that trump's daughter is jewish van jones is going to introduce that right here you know he, he is the father of a jewish daughter he is the father of a jewish daughter if he won't even defend his own daughter from the kinds of vile uh, attacks and the things that were said then i think the rest of us have very little hope now um <laughs> if there's any hope at all and so I think the verdict is now in on the presidency, now six months in. Any hope, I think, uh, is you know, fading very quickly. I think now we have to ask about the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, and the rest of us. What will our response be? Um, will the Republican Party uh, continue to look the other way um, and hope for a tax cut? Or is there now a, is it time for them to think about who can primary this guy? Is it time for, for a resolution to be passed through Congress uh, condemning these, you know, this this, this uh, uh, act, this atrocious act, and also calling out the president? We can no longer sit here watching this sort of terrible video game, uh, hoping it's going to work out better. We're going to have to stand together. Let me just say one more thing about this. It is incredibly terrifying for people of color. There are people of color right now who are crying. There are Jewish people right now who are afraid because this cuts deep when the president won't unequivocally stand with you for more than 12 hours against Nazis, when the president won't stand with you for more than 12 solid hours against Klansmen who showed up with guns who were prepared to kill people. You feel vulnerable. You don't know if your children are safe. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. This is not you know some some soundbite game. Yes, don't send them to rallies. It is not game. Sorry, I, sorry, I have a lot to say. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm gonna say a lot. First of all, I don't think they're coming into your house. You know, everybody involved in this showed up. First of all, I mean, am I wrong? 
No, Nazis were dragging people out of the house in my neighborhood. Out of the house. Okay. This is something. I want to say a few quick things, and then I want to say something really serious that I want your, you know, little back and forth on. Uh, he said he won't defend his own daughter against vile attacks. So his She'll daughter be, was attacked? No, well, yeah, I guess not. She'll be the first one that he puts into a concentration camp is what I took away from that. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, um, this is the guy who called not all right, but just the bad guys on the right, the dirty right, which is a totally – is exactly the way racist talk makes me crazy. <laughs> um, he said there should be a resolution passed calling the president out. He's talking right. about the 25th Amendment. Yeah. He's talking about the 25th Amendment, which can unseat the president without an impeachment proceeding. And then I think he's thinking that. Uh, okay, here's where here's what I really want to get to. Uh, I was saying before, like, how do you get a war started when people don't want a war? How do you get a war with Iran started when Iran is not a threat to this country? And you can have circumstances of extreme despair, economic and cultural despair, and that will allow for that, like the Depression uh, and, and what happened in Germany before World War II. But what happened in Germany before World War II, whether whether you think it was organic and natural as a result of the war reparations, or if you think that the British had had their own stay-behind mission between the First and Second World War to foment unrest. Uh, whatever, whatever you think happened, there was serious, serious upheaval. Politically, the entire structure went from having a Kaiser to having a republic, and then that collapsing. The money completely collapsed. The money collapsed. So unless you had actual hard assets or money outside the country, the very rich, you, there was no value in your savings. It was hard even to, to work. There was, there was just a, a level of desperation in society and, and it was full of disillusioned, uh, war veterans who lost like Hitler was. I mean, I think he was selected by some powerful people because he fit this profile, sociopath or whatever, had the ca- charisma, you know, had these these terrible ideas that fall outside the realm of what anyone might think is moral. But you had this population of kind of, kind of um, roaming, disenfranchised veterans who had seen awful fighting, you know, like the World War One fighting was awful. So those were the circumstances under which you got like a real um, scapegoating mentality, attacking uh, ethnic groups, you you know, killing people, uh, that insider-outsider thing that he, you know, preyed upon people with, like it's their fault, it's the Jews' fault, or um, that comes from a real you know, comes from cultural despair, comes from a place we are not at. You know, I think it starts with hunger. You know, it starts with loss. It starts with, it starts with having your culture destroyed. It it starts with um, what happened to Germany in World War One, And I, I think it was very hard to get, you know, I think it took a lot to get a movement like that going. So 
do they really think they're so powerful and do you think they're so powerful that they can actually get such a movement going just by acting like it is going? Do you think it will, or do they, do they not? I kind of think they don't even need to actually get a movement like that going if they just act like it is and declare a state of emergency and take away our rights, you know, transform the system just by acting like there's that kind of a crisis because TV says it is. Well, are you talking about a Nazi movement going? Or are you talking, talking about, about movement on people are crying? They're worried about their children. They're worried that people are going to throw rocks at them. They're hysterical. We need to do something. You know, he's talking about about a level of social upheaval that would actually fundamentally transform this country, that could knock the legs out of our legal principles, that could make people eager for the distraction of war, for the, you know, if what he is taught, he is trying to say, that's where we are. He is trying to say that we have reached this. I, I personally think that thing in Charlottesville was astroturf, you know what I mean, on both sides. I think those those organizations, I'm not saying real people didn't show up, they for sure did, and you show us how, with your clips of Indivisible and stuff, how they get people to do it and how they teach them how to act and all that kind of stuff. But they are absolutely fomenting this from the top when we don't have the kind of hunger and desperation um, and loss that it takes, I think, to get a real, uh, you know, a revolutionary mood going. I agree. I don't think it's quite as extreme as it might get to. I do think that they are able to get people to join into this movement. They're probably going to have to do more. It's probably going to have to increase increase to get people to actually get to where they're – I think they would have to actually people crash will fight. the dollar. I think they would actually have to crash the dollar. Yeah, the the group is getting big though. Like people will not. One of somebody that I know, one of his friends, and I know this guy. He said that he feels like my friend was siding with the Nazis, and my friend was in the same boat as us. He's just like we don't really know what's going on. And the response to that, and this is a unanimous response to a Facebook post that he made. People assumed that he side with, sided with the Nazis. It was unbelievable. And people know this guy. This guy is the furthest In thing from a Nazi ever. of the people there, I, I don't even know if I side with keeping the statue up or taking it down. Like, I don't even know, you know, if yeah. I would defend the statue. It's a government statue. You know, give unto Caesar what's Caesar's. I don't care. Yeah. You it's know, about but, growing the Trump resistance. And it is being it is effective in doing that. They're probably going to increase the agitation aspect of it to where people feel like they have to fight. Right now, people will just join a movement or they'll they'll make a Facebook post or every now and then they'll rant on Facebook about it. More and more people are actually getting up and going to these indivisible town hall meetings. Well, let me ask you, what what is it? Are you with me that this it's there's nothing there though. There's no content. There's right. no there's no issue. Yeah. There's no issue coming down from the top. Like Trump did not actually bring slavery back. He didn't actually start a new war. Yeah. Right, which are two things that can really get you off the couch. <laughs> there are a lot of things that can get you off the couch. Obamacare got me off the couch. He, he hasn't done anything. 
He hasn't done anything. It's just, it's just rhetoric, you know, not just from him and not primarily from him. He plays right into it. He just absolutely just triggers, 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 triggers. And then he gets Van Jones and all these guys just go back. But there isn't actually an event except for the fact that he got elected, you know, or maybe didn't, you know, or what? Well, he did, you know, I don't know what their argument is that Russia helped them. I don't know. But this is he, an event, the yeah, Charlotte event. The, in Trump. their minds, Trump is directly responsible or, or slightly indirectly responsible for that woman dying at the hands of a Nazi. That All is right, a but physical I'm saying, event. I'm saying there's two ways to really overturn society. And that is to to have a dictator take over and do stuff like Obamacare or return us to slavery or whatever, yeah. or have a massive war, you know, or a massive war, or you have the circumstances from beneath, which, you know, I'm reading <laughs> this guy, Preparata, accusing Britain of doing to Germany on purpose, where they actually intentionally crashed the mark. If they intentionally crash the dollar so that you really have hunger and desperation and loss, you know, I'm just saying there's two ways you get the kind of civil unrest that Van Jones is talking about. It's either push down from the top something people don't want or or you've taken the bottom out from under them and they need to reach up for anything. They'll reach up for anything. They'll reach up for those wars. They'll reach up for anything. I don't feel like we've had that. So what are they going to do? Are they going to push down from the top? I don't see them doing it at this point. Maybe they can start a war with Iran, but I'm afraid that the other way is to pull out the bottom or, or they've found that the propaganda alone is enough and they're satisfied with just perpetual chaos. I mean, that's possible. Yeah, I think you're right, though. I think there's going to have to be something more to push people over the top because right now the movement started from basically nothing, really. Basically, and and it's gotten to the point where people are starting to side with this extreme communist view is what what indivisible and the the resistance is. It's sponsored by communist groups or ideology. What they what the leaders of these groups talk about is communist, international, you know, globalist, communist, whatever. It's that's what they're spreading. They're spreading this false ideal, this false utopia that's impossible to achieve and. They're getting people to do stuff by their hate and fear of Trump. But like you said, I don't think people are going to get up and, and, you know, a massive upheaval is going to occur unless, like, you know, there's enough pain. So maybe they're going to let the bottom fall out, or maybe Trump is going to start a war that's unpopular and that's going to cause America and the American government to be the enemy of the world, which is going to make the public then in turn turn against the government. Who knows? No, I feel like. Bush, there's a lot of divisiveness with W. Remember, people like really started hating him, and there were legitimacy questions with the hanging Chad. Then there was Obama, who was really divisive, and he had legitimacy questions with the birther stuff. And here's Trump, who's even more divisive, and he has legitimacy questions with the Russian hacking thing. I mean, I I feel like there's a, a very broad trend here, and I don't think it's going to... I, I just don't feel like it's quite come to a head yet, but I feel like, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know what the plot twist is going to be, but uh, you know, I like that it's artificial because that makes me feel, feel like it's not going to overturn society, but 
you know, where's it all headed? We, we need will a, find we need out. Inside scoop. We need Trump on this podcast. He doesn't know. Come he on. Might, he might be. He might have some sort of inside information. Michael Chertoff to give us dirty looks about how un-American we are for asking such questions. He might snap our necks if we have him here. No, I. Well, I should say he looks like he could have his neck snapped pretty easily. I think he's probably a lizard, personally. Yes, he does look like an actual lizard, not even like a lizard person. Yeah, he looks like one. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Not an alien. Ah, all right. Let me play a clip for you, another indivisible clip. This is from – I should say before I play this clip, the riots happened on Saturday, right? The Charlotte, The major thing that happened was Saturday, and then on Saturday night – Around 11.30, I hear a breaking news story that protesters spontaneously organized in Atlanta in response to what happened in Charlottesville to protest in peace. And they were like, the protesters started at the Hyatt Regency, and they marched for two miles. And I'm like, wait a minute. I know what the Hyatt Regency is. The Hyatt Regency is where that conference was going on were indivisible and the resistance were training community organizers with on oh. how to do disruption tactics. Oh, you asked me to give you uh, you told me about that but I didn't understand what you were saying. Yeah, oh. This was not a spontaneous thing. This was indivisible oh. starting a protest in Atlanta wow. right after it happened. And mind you, as I pointed out earlier, indivisible the cha- the signs of indivisible being at this thing in Charlottesville were very visible to me watching these videotapes or what not videotapes, what is this 1980, watching the clips <laughs> online. And, and then I then I hear about this march in Atlanta that happened at the at the Hyatt Regency where the Net Roots Nation, which is this indivisible training session is going on. And then the next day I hear another march going on where they went to Piedmont Park and they tried, they vandalized the statue. They call it, some call it a peace statue. Others call it a Confederacy statue. I don't know much about it. They tried to tear it down. Then people got out of there because they got afraid. And then I read on Tuesday on one of the indivisible pages that it says, Netroots Nation will be like, will be showing up at 12 noon on Tuesday to protest the town hall that Isaacson was doing in Cobb County, and they did. People, I watched some of the clips of that thing, and people couldn't even get into it because Indivisible flooded this thing. People from out of state who don't even live in Georgia are at this conference, and they're flooding Isaacson's town hall. And I'm going, wow, this is all – this is all indivisible. Their footprint is in all of these things every single day where this chaos is going on. And I think I told you that there was a clip of one of the girls who was protesting at the town hall last week, Doug Collins town hall, where she stood up and she had the sign that said, Doug Collins wants to kill me. And then she was escorted out and she was using her cane. And I think she does have some sort of ailment. I looked at her pictures on Facebook. She doesn't always use that cane. She, she's not using that cane in any of her other pictures. She had the cane there. There was a dramatic effect they were trying to capture, and they tell them to do this in the indivisible instructions. They say, you know, you want a dramatic picture that can be spread around the media, right? And there's a dramatic picture of two police officers escorting this girl with her cane walking out after she held that sign up. And then there's pictures on her Facebook page right after this happened of her at the Netroots Nation conference with the leader of the Netroots Nation guy. Everybody's cheering her on saying she got on the front page, whatever. And with that said, that she was 
using that striking image, here's, here's a clip of somebody at Netroots Nation talking about how – this is a senator from Illinois. She's talking about how pictures of handicapped people getting pulled out of wheelchairs is useful for their movement. Here it is. I, I do want to give a special shout out as an example of what can be done to the disability rights movement and adapt in, the, in this fight. The images of people being pulled out of their wheelchairs is not unlike the images during the civil rights movement of the um, fire hoses being turned on children in the children's marches or John Lewis getting his head cracked. Um, you know, it's those kinds of visuals are very, very important to our, our movement. There is something so profoundly wrong with that. There, I just, that I've always had a serious, deep, deep problem with people creating the crisis they predicted so that they can get the solution they want. And I'm not talking about like the government, you know, Rahm Emanuel thing. I, I'm I'm just talking about like in your personal life, like jerks, you know, or I remember, I don't want to, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to name names, but I knew a guy who didn't like who his daughter was going out with, thought he, he just didn't like him. So he asked his other daughter to make a pass at the guy to prove to the first daughter that he was disloyal. And yeah. my reaction was, well, <laughs> if you're going to do, you know, if you, it's like entrapment, you know, if you're going to do that, if you're not, if you're not right about the guy, you know, I mean, and it doesn't happen. The daughter and the sister look bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why? Yes, for sure. But why? If you have to create it, then you're wrong. Right. Did you're it work? Wrong. This isn't a real. No, the other girl wouldn't do it. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but they did end up breaking up, and really, he was the best guy she ever went out with. But anyway, yeah, it's just outraged. Like just morally on a day to day basis, I find that uh, reprehensible. But you see yeah. it, you see it all the time. It's horrible. They're saying exploit it, exploit these. Uh, you no, know, it's saying, but it's provoke. This right. is not like entrapment, provocation. It's creating evil. It's evil to do that. It's evil to get people hurt. It's evil. It's evil to to tempt people to sin. It's evil to provoke somebody to hurt another person. It's wrong. You know what I mean? It's morally. Yeah. It's it's what you you know <laughs> refer to as the communist thing, where the ends justify the means. And I I I feel like if we are anything, if there is any nobility, man, you go down. For the principles. That's, you know, as my mother says, we're born to die. So, you know, live well. Yeah. Well, I think we got to wrap it up soon. I do want to point out who that woman's husband is. Well, who is that woman? I Can think you it's relevant. I have to tell you the husband. Her name is Jan Sokowski, I believe is how you say her last name. She's a congresswoman from Yeah, Illinois. I've heard of her. And her husband, who yeah. at the beginning of that clip, she got a huge round of applause for, who was in the audience, is Robert. No, that Kramer. guy, the guy from the Project Veritas. Yeah, video. the guy from the Veritas things yes. who stepped down, who was the leader of creating, of community organizing and training people how to bird dog and instigate. He got a rousing ovation. This guy was in jail for a little while at some point for some sort of, I can't remember, it might have been fraud. I can't remember specifically, but the dude is like, 
they, they talked about him being just one of the guy. One of his underlings on the Veritas videos talks about him just being ruthless and like he'll he'll do anything, you know. But he and, wouldn't in those videos. He wouldn't because I guess he'd learned his lesson. They right. couldn't trap him. But that's her husband. Wow, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. They sit around talking about how they can wow. get pictures See, of people. Wow, that was a congresswoman who said that? Yeah, let's get people pulled no out of their wheelchairs way. and get it on the front page of the news because it helps her movement. That's, that's disgusting. That, that's what they were training people to do at this Netroots Nation. That makes me sick. Yeah. We can't end on that note. That makes you sick? Yeah. Well, let me see. That makes uh, you happy. Here, I'll play a clip for you that it's from the town hall again, the Doug Collins town hall. And a guy in the crowd, he asked, he wanted to know when they were going to stop dealing with this Russia thing. He said, when are we going to stop investigating this phony Russia thing and actually get something done? And there was a woman who took exception to the fact that he called it a phony Russia thing. And I'll have to probably play this for you a couple times. It's a really short clip of how she reacts to this other guy calling the Russia thing phony. Now, keep in mind, all the information she's getting is that this Russia collusion thing is the worst thing in the world. It's been proven over and over again. So this is kind of a shock for her. Here's her reaction. Chaos breaks out. This How does she know it's not phony? Why? Why would you get worked up about that? So I wish we could have a mic on her directly. That would have been fantastic. I mean, that's the thing. We don't know the Russian thing. We don't know any more now than we have ever known. You know, and and it's just the truth doesn't matter at all. I don't know. We just well, don't know. It doesn't. The, the it's themes, not about the truth. One of the themes of the Netroots Nation thing was to amp up the Trump-Russia narrative. That was one of the things they're amping up. They're 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 going to go more on that. What? Say that one again? of the themes of the Netroots Nation thing that they're oh, going to yeah. be emphasizing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the they're going to they're going to push the Russia thing even harder. They're not oh. backing away. They're amping it up. <sighs> it's so hard for me to read the newspaper anymore. Like I just, it's just, uh, it's it's circular. Yeah, it is. It is very circular. <laughs> Circle. Okay. <laughs> All righty then. That was a slightly better note. I don't know. I feel bad for. You know, I could never watch Jerry Springer. I'll just put it that way. Like, I went to the I Jerry just... Springer show once. You were on told... it? No, I think I told you no, I wasn't on it. I went to it. I was on it because they panned me in the crowd because the guy next to me was naked, took his clothes off. <laughs> There's a picture of me leaning away, just like my face is red. I'm like, oh, God. The guy ended up going and dancing on the stripper pole because the producers of the show started – this is the type of guy, I think I might have told this story before, but this is the type of guy that we were in the waiting room to go sit down and watch a show, and this guy was yelling stuff the whole time in the waiting room, and I pointed him out to my friend. I said, that's the guy who's been waiting his entire life to go to the Jerry Springer show and shout, whore, whore. Like, <laughs> he's had his insult written down for years, and I was right. Unfortunately, he was sitting directly next to me. He ends up 
insulting one of the girls that were on there, calling her a whore of some sort. And the girl from the stage said something back to him, said something like, you just mad that you ain't getting none of this, like something like that, you know? And so he gets up and starts unbuttoning his shirt like he's got something. And so the stage producers decided they saw an opportunity. So they start getting the crowd to chant, get on the pole, get on the pole. And as they're doing this, the lights go down on the stage. A pole is erected from a no. circle. Yeah. And this guy starts taking his clothes off and his ass is hanging out right next to I'm like, Oh my God, this is horrible. Yeah. And he goes up and he does like a strip dance. How'd he look? Freaking, he was about five foot three, 250 pounds and he's <laughs> covered in hair. <laughs> So it was not a pretty image? Is that what you're trying to say? I mean, it was. he was pretty succulent, if you have to ask me. <laughs> uh, I would, do, you have a, do you have a copy of that episode? I, I don't. I saw it one time because I saw when they replayed it. I don't know. Maybe it's online somewhere. I could probably look for it. All right. On that note, now that was a cheerful note. On that note, we must say goodbye. So this concludes this episode of the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez. Thank you very much, Brad Binkley. Thank you. See you later.